I'll read you today is The Alchemy of Happiness from the Heart of Sufism by Hazrat Inyat Khan. It's not that happiness belongs to the soul, but the soul itself is happiness. Today we often confuse happiness with pleasure. Pleasure is only an illusion of happiness, a shadow of happiness. And in this delusion, man perhaps passes his whole life seeking after pleasure and never finding satisfaction. There is a saying that man looks for pleasure and gets pain. Every pleasure which is seeming happiness in outward appearance, promising happiness, but it is the shadow of happiness, just as the shadow of a person is not the person and yet represents the form of the person. So pleasure represents happiness, but is not so in reality. According to this idea, one finds that there are rarely souls in this world who know what happiness is. There are constant disappointment in one thing or another. But the nature of life in the world is such, it is so deluding that if man were disappointed a thousand times, he would still take the same path, for he knows no other. The more we study life, the more we realize how rarely there is a soul who can honestly say, I am happy. Almost every soul, whatever his life's position, will say that he is unhappy in some way or another. And if you ask the reason, he will say, perhaps, I cannot attain this position. Power, property, possessions, or rank for which I've worked for years. He's craving for money, perhaps, and does not realize that possessions give no satisfaction. Or perhaps he says he has enemies, and those whom he loves do not love him. There are some a thousand excuses for unhappiness that the reasoning mind will take. But is even one of these excuses entirely correct? Do you think even if people gain their desires, they would be happy? If they possessed all, would these things suffice? No, for still they would find some excuse for unhappiness, and all these excuses. Are as, are as coverings before man's eyes. For deep within is the yearning for true happiness, which none of these things can give. The one who is really happy is happy everywhere, in a palace or a cottage, in riches or poverty. For he has discovered the fountain of happiness which is situated in his own heart. So long as a person has not found that fountain, nothing will give him real happiness. The man who does not know the secret of happiness often develops avarice. He wants thousands, and when he gets them, they do not satisfy. And he wants millions, and still he's not satisfied. He wants more and more. If you give him your sympathy, and your service, he's still unhappy. All you possess is not enough. Even your love does not help him. 
For he is seeking in the wrong direction. And life itself becomes a tragedy. Happiness is in your own being, your own self. That self that is the most precious thing in life. Well, this is the second of a series that I'm doing at the moment, looking at at personal transformation. As a community here at the Aspen Chapel, our stated aim is that we are committed to personal transformation through practice. And last week I said that personal transformation was something that changes our very makeup, the essence of who we are. Not just changing our behavior, but metanoia, as it says in the Greek New Testament, renewing your mind, a complete software upgrade, changing the way we think at our very essence. We also, last week, looked at our reluctance to change at this level. We prefer to stay the way we are because we're used to it. It works for us. But although we can be reluctant, I was saying that our lives are not our own. Just to be used for selfish reasons. And in making our contribution to a greater life, it's demanded of us that we open to personal transformation so that we can be a part of the evolution of consciousness that is at the heart of creation. Someone came up to me afterwards and said that they wanted to know what it was going to be look like um, after personal transformation uh, and they'll be willing to open themselves once they understood what it looked like. (laughs) Someone else said to me that in in making an investment decision, 85% of someone's reluctance to change is because... They don't feel the situation's bad enough to make a change. And 50% is based upon whether or not they actually trust the person who's suggesting the change. A reluctance to change may be because that we don't feel that it's bad enough. I put that illustration at the top of your service sheet, and I used it last week. And uh, you can see this little transformation of a butterfly. And a couple of people were trying to work out where they were on the scale, you know, where they were right at the beginning. Did they have a little bit of green in their lives or, or maybe none at all? You know, we're all trying to judge where we are, how willing we are to change uh, and, what it, and what it will take. But I don't think the decision to change can always be based upon how bad you feel. Yes, if you're an addict you may have to reach rock bottom before you're willing to change. But we're not in that situation. Our transformation is about making a contribution to the whole. We're saying here, what we're saying here is, uh, here I am, Lord, take me. We're looking out at the world and seeing the state that it's in, seeing that we're part of the world. And what we do both matters What we do both matters and has an impact. And we're saying, how can I change myself so so that I become the change that I'm looking to see in the world? It is an altruistic decision. A decision to change made out of love with no expectation of return. We just know that as we are all an intrinsic part of consciousness... The only way for us to help with the evolution of that consciousness is for us to personally transform. And that is why our mission here is personal transformation through practice. 
We're deliberately opening ourselves to that transformation in order to make our contribution to the greater good. But how do we go about it? You know, we've all done courses, we've meditated, we pray, we come to the chapel, you know, we're nice to, well, everybody. And yet, that doesn't really seem to be what we're talking about here. We most of us feel that we're not undergoing anything radical, anything that goes really to the root of our souls. And, and, you know, occasionally that does happen. Maybe, as I said last week, when circumstances bring us to our knees and there is nothing to do but surrender. So we do undergo transformation, and some of us have had that. But it's not something that we want to engineer. And others of us, Others of us may have had some sort of peak experience that has given us a glimpse of the true nature of life. And that's facilitated a personal transformation, a change in the way that we think. But again, that's not something that we can engineer. In both those cases, what happens, in both those cases, what happens is our mind runs out of road in the way that it approaches life. Our mind just runs out of road. We have a, a worldview that we bash along on with that worldview until, well, we bash along until it becomes obsolete, until it doesn't fit what we know. The death of a child, the loss of a loved one, the loss of everything. Suddenly, everything we thought before, our way of thinking becomes obsolete. Our rationale for being, the way we thought about things, it all becomes irrelevant, and we have to surrender to a new paradigm. We give up our beliefs, and that becomes a path to personal transformation. The same as when an addict hits rock bottom. And also when we have a peak experience, when we have a glimpse of the oneness of all things, when we see the reality of the one consciousness. So again, the way that we've thought about things in the past becomes irrelevant, the separation. And we have to completely reassess the way that we see things. We surrender to the new perspective, the new perceived reality, and we become transformed by the renewing of our minds. You can see how a change in your worldview affects transformation through courses like EST and Alpha. After these courses, you know, when you see your friends go off and do these courses, they come back completely changed often. I remember coming off one of those courses and, and meeting my mother for lunch, full of enthusiasm and carrying a huge bunch of flowers. My mother looked at me and she said, where's my son gone? I was no longer the cynical advertising person that, that I was before that she knew. And you know, in these courses, your current worldview is challenged to a point where you just gradually let it go. And then a new worldview is given to you that you're invited to take up. You know, in Alpha, it's opening to the Holy Spirit. In Est, it's a contact with the source or whatever. And a huge amount of energy is released. And you can see people move on to a new place. This is because they let go of their old beliefs that they've been holding. That those old beliefs that have been holding their energy down. I can't do this because this could never happen because they've just got it all, the script is there. And then suddenly they let go of that and all bets are off and a huge amount of new possibilities comes up and you feel amazing. 
And there is a personal transformation that takes place. But as we all know, you know, these personal, these transformations that happen, you know, can be pretty short-lived. It might not change us in a way that is truly radical at the root. You know, I can remember after doing one of those courses, you know, I did pretty much the same sort of stuff after the course that I did before the course, but I did it just with more enthusiasm. And I just committed myself to all that <laughs> dysfunctional behavior even more. You know, radical transformation means your whole being is transformed. You know, it is us living life on a day-to-day level and asking on a day-to-day level, how can I be the best that I'm being asked to be? How can I be the best that I'm being asked to be? How can I move from that false self, that selfish part of me, to being true to the concept that God utters in me? That's what we're faced with. Personal transformation through practice. Living our lives as an expression of the art of personal transformation. Having it be part of our day-to-day living. Well, last week I said that the starting point of that was peace. The blank canvas for the art of personal transformation, the blank canvas was being in a state of peace. We have arrived at that peace in order to be able to move forward. Often when we think of personal transformation, we think the end point is peace. I want to get to a point where I'm peaceful. No, that's the start. That's just, you know, when you get to a point of peace, is the start point of personal transformation. You have to arrive at that place of peace in order to be able to move forward. It is a place of openness, of vulnerability. It is a place of acceptance. It's a place of surrender. It's a place where... We're willing to have our lives as they are, putting all our energy into living those lives and making the best we can while not being attached to the outcome of what we do. That's the requirement of a life lived in transformation. In number 35 of the Tao Te Ching, it says, she who is centered in the Tao can go where she wishes without danger. She perceives the universal harmony even amid great pain, because she has found peace in her heart. Peace is the beginning, and that's where we begin. But to move us onward, we have to be able to walk a path that feeds the soul as well. And I think that's where the idea of happiness comes in. Because there's no point in being at peace and being miserable. We end up just being at peace with our misery. And when that person said last week they were not going to transform until they could see what it looked like, being at peace with your misery is not exactly exciting. Having said that, transformation does require surrender and acceptance. And if your surrender is based upon seeing what it's like, then it's controlled by the mind and not true surrender. Life surely shouldn't be at its peak the ability to be at peace with misery. And that reading from the heart of Sufism by Hazrat Inyat Khan really shows us that it's not. Most of you will know that Sufism is the mystical branch of Islam, a path of the unfolding soul that gave us both Rumi and Haifids. The stories of the Arabian Nights also symbolize these ideas. And here Khan is saying that happiness is actually the very nature of the soul. 
Not that happiness belongs to the soul, but the soul itself is happiness. And to me, that is the real driver of personal transformation. He says that pleasure is the illusion of happiness. And that links to that quote from Merton that we had last week. I wind experiences around myself and cover myself in pleasures and glory like bandages in order to make myself perceptible to myself and to the world, as if I were an invisible body that could only become visible when something visible covered its surface. The idea that we were always looking for happiness outside ourselves. And it always brings disappointment. Now, I know that, you know, this is almost a cliche, you know, how essential it is, you know, that looking for happiness outside ourselves, you know, it always brings disappointment. However, it is essential to the journey of transformation. We become at peace when we're not attached to the outcomes of our life. However, the next step is not just to be at peace with our misery, but to realize the yearning for happiness, which is very real, is not satisfied by gaining the desires for what we see outside ourselves, but from our contact with the soul, which is the very nature of pure happiness. The one who is really happy, Khan says, is happy everywhere in a palace or a cottage, in riches or in poverty. For he has discovered the fountain of happiness, which is situated in his own heart. He goes on to say that happiness is in your own being, your own self, the self which is the most precious thing in life. And he describes this as being the alchemy of happiness, where we transform the base materials of life and come up with the gold of happiness. Of what use is religion, he says, if we're not happy? Religion must give happiness, and this is the root of that. It is our journey of personal transformation. We move from that point of peace, being at peace with the outcomes of our lives, and we're in danger then of moving into resignation, a miserable acceptance of how awful life is, but knowing that we're doing something about it. No, that's not the path. The path is then to move inward to the living water of the soul, the streams of living water within us. And it's here that we drink and find our happiness, which is why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be given to you. The fountain of happiness lies within us, not outside us. And thirst for the happiness on the journey to personal transformation is truly slaked by those streams of living water that are within us. So how is this any different from those cliches about not going after the shiny things of life and going within, you know, that we've all heard before? The difference is that without the first step of being at peace with the circumstances of your life, this just becomes another way of controlling circumstances. Unless you're at peace, the idea of going within just becomes another way of controlling circumstances. We feel unhappy about the way that life is treating us and people tell us to go within and seek happiness within. And that all sounds fine and dandy. And so we try and go within. But then the next bowl of excrement lands on our head and we find it doesn't work. We're still miserable. It hasn't made us feel any better. But when you're at peace with the circumstances of your life, When you are okay with the bowl of excrement when it lands on you, 
then the journey to the soul and the happiness that's available there becomes real and tangible. We can often get as far as the peace bit, not being attached to what's happening, but a part of us is looking out there. We get to the peace bit, a part of us is looking out there for the good things that are going to happen. So that although we're at peace with the bad bits, we think that the payoff is the good things will happen eventually. And therefore, we're looking out there and continually miserable when the good things don't turn up. Although we are at peace with it. This is resignation, not surrender. The next step is to go inward towards the soul, to the very source of happiness. To know that, as Khan, you've got to know, as Khan later says, that God is happy. He is the perfection of love, harmony, and beauty. If the study of religion does not lead to real joy and happiness, it might as well not exist, for it doesn't help fulfill the purpose of life. So the path to personal transformation is really the conscious cultivation of joy and happiness. And to me, that sounds a lot more interesting than being at peace with your misery. We are called to that joy and that happiness, but our mistake is to see its shadow in the pleasures that are out there in the world and to chase after them rather than going to the seat of joy and happiness which is within us. And because we're constantly being deceived by the shadows out there that we see around us, we have to continually stop ourselves from reaching out to those shadows and know that our true satisfaction, that the yearning for happiness is in fact the yearning of the soul. It is the yearning of the soul for its connection with the divine which is within us. Now, this this may sound very basic, but you have to put it into practice on a day-to-day basis, recognizing when we're investing in something to bring us happiness rather than going within and finding that happiness so that you can bring it out of our lives and into the world. And the discipline, this is it, the discipline is recognizing when you are anticipating happiness. I'm going to move to a new house. So I'm happy about that. And so my happiness is related to my moving. When in reality, I'm using those circumstances to move my feelings of happiness within me. My circumstances are bringing about my happiness. And in reality, my happiness is not connected to the move. What I feel is a manufactured response to circumstances and is a shadow of the real happiness that lies within. We have to see that we are relating to our shadow and to bring our attention back to our hearts, which is the source of our happiness. Otherwise, we're setting ourselves up to be miserable the moment, I'm setting myself up to be miserable the moment my house move is cancelled. We are at the effect of our circumstances. Taking that action is the next step to personal transformation. First, you come to peace with your circumstances. Then you look for your happiness within rather than in things around you. And that begins to change the way you approach everything. You become a true alchemist. Someone who can take the dross, the difficult things that happen in life, and turn them into gold. So that the sun shines from within you, like this golden light that shines through the chapel. You become the light of the world. The light that comes from within and goes out into the world. Take that second step of the 12 steps. The first step is to admit you're powerless, to be in the place of peace. The second is to turn our will and our lives over to the care 
of God as we understand him. That is to go inward to find our happiness rather than to look outside to satisfy our yearning. Last page. Notice you were happy or not with that, yeah? We often deny our yearnings rather than be willing to pursue them in the world because it seems that if we follow our yearnings, they will get us into trouble and in the end just leave us unsatisfied and jaded. But the true path is to take those yearnings and look within to our souls to open up and bring light, that living water, into the full flood of our lives so that we can share it and share it with others. It enables us to fulfill that wonderful prayer of Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for any reward, saying, knowing that we do your will. We pray for our world, for the difficulties that it's in at the moment. Pray for our leaders. We pray that there's love and peace and happiness in their hearts. That you will enable them to move forward and lead us into that way of happiness. We pray for all those who are less fortunate than ourselves. We pray for those in war zones, those under oppression, those who are hungry, those who are homeless, those in difficulty. We pray that we may be appropriate to that, that we may be able to help in these situations. And particularly we pray for those who are in hospital at the moment, who are ill. We pray for those in our own community. We pray for Mimi Schlumberger battling with cancer. For Cindy van der Veer, who had surgery last week. For Alex Coleman in a coma in Los Angeles. For Taylor Patterson in recovery. We pray for the Franklin family after the loss of Shelley's beloved stepfather, Vern Venn. We pray for the family of Arin Truk. The family of Annie Teague. For the family of Borghild Heron, Eva Lemley's mother who died on Saturday. And we also pray for Helen Gotchi, 101, and admitted to hospital recently. We ask that your Holy Spirit visits these people and your healing power is upon them. Amen.